The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Friday, which means it's NFC North wrap-up day. This is the show for everybody who did not have four and a half-ish, maybe five hours at this point, to go through all of the team-by-team deep dives that we did this week, and they just want to get the top-down, macro-level overview of everything that's happened in the NFC North this offseason. The Cliff Notes version, I should say. Uh, This is the show for you. We're going to be going over... Again, light recap of 2021, notable free agency additions, notable rookies, and then making some predictions for season awards and division winner at the end. Uh, I've I've seen a remarkable pattern of some people only showing up for the division recaps, not having time for any of the, the team recaps except for their own team, and that's perfectly okay. That's why we make all of them so that you guys can pick and choose how you consume all this off-season content. By the time we're done with it, there's going to be like 50 to 60 hours, so you can listen to as much or as little as you please. But before we get to all of this NFC North goodness, the last NFC North goodness of this series, EJ, buddy, how you doing? What are you drinking tonight? I'm in a celebratory mood. This is one of our mini milestones in this series. When we are done with this one, we are three quarters of the way through the NFL, and that's awesome. So... Uh, in celebration, I wore my Bears Over Beers shirt, da, 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 da. and I have a diver down. Oh, there you go. Because all work and no play makes EJ a dull boy. So for those of you <laughs> not familiar with a diver down, it is your favorite pale uh, Mexican lager, mine Pacifico, with just about a half to three quarters of a shot of Bacardi Limon in the top of it. It's wonderful. It's super dangerous, so don't drink them if you're driving. But I'll be enjoying that for tonight's podcast. What do you <laughs> Don't have? drink them if you want to be functional at all. They well, will really sneak up on you. <laughs> yes, it is the all-time sneaker drink. But what do you have? Uh, I'm still working on my Angel's Envy Rye. This is the Caribbean cask. So it's Angel's Envy Rye, which is already very good, uh, finished in Caribbean rum casks. And it tastes like just, honestly, alcoholic maple syrup. It's really heaven on earth. Some of the best stuff in my in my bar that you see over my left hand shoulder uh i have plenty of rise and this is one of my my go-tos consistently but with all that being said it's time to do our little 2021 recap of the nfc north what people have come here to listen to 
It was a little bit of a top-heavy division, to say the least, in 2021. Green Bay was the only team to make the playoffs here. They went 13-4. and four. The second-best team, if you want to use those words to describe it, was only 8-9 and nine with the Minnesota Vikings. We do expect the Vikings to be better this year, but last year, it was very much the Packers and everybody else. Uh, the Lions were not very good. They were scrappy, but not very good. The Bears were somehow uh, a six-win team when, uh, honestly, I would say... They had a lot less things to to really be hopeful about than even the Lions did, but somehow they ended up at six wins. So not a good division overall. Should be much better this year from top to bottom, I would say. But last year was, was a little bit of a horror show. Green Bay was the only team with a late season surge. They finished the year 4-1. and one. Obviously, we're completely unassailable at home, undefeated at home, 8-0. Um, I, I would expect them to be still probably the best or at least one of the best teams in this division even after Devontae Adams is now in Vegas they had a great draft they did really wonderful work in terms of how they handled their cap difficulties and keeping as much of their core together as they possibly could if you want a breakdown of all of the crazy shit that Brian Gutekunst pulled off contract wise listen to the Packers episode yesterday we kind of went into that in depth about how they still even though they were between a rock and a hard place, they still did the best they could and and came out the other side with a pretty good team. But yeah, overall, uh, it was the Packers and everybody else last year. This year, should be much tighter. What's really funny is I was thinking back to last week's summary episode, AFC North. Difference Mm -hmm. between the top team and the bottom team in that division? Two wins, yeah. Two games. Ten wins versus eight wins. In this division? Ten hmm so yeah uh haves and have nots in the nfc north uh also looked at the net point differential for detroit last year and it was negative 142 I, yeah there were a I couple would, games where when they lost they lost yeah it's the <laughs> kind of thing where i wasn't even sure the meter went that far because uh, the bears are bad and it was you know negative 96 that's that's ugly. That's a that's a rough year right there. But negative negative one forty two again. We expect the Lions to be much much better. If you're interested in any of that, go check out the Lions episode uh, from Monday. And we have some very good things to say about that team. But I don't I don't think we'll be seeing a negative triple digit score for them in point differential. In fact, I wouldn't be really all that surprised if they were pretty close to even. Yeah, I mean the Vikings in typical Vikings fashion had a point differential of minus one and i think they were hovering around single digits the entire year either they won or they lost and usually it was a one possession game because the vikings have a remarkable passion for one possession games uh they can never just win easy or lose easy it always has to be in the last quarter but they have a passion for parody yeah we'll call it that yeah we'll call it that sounds great (laughs) Uh, let's go to a uh, notable free agency additions for each team. You know, sometimes we kind of go, we kind of go team by team for the NFC North. I, I want to do it all as a whole and talk about the themes here because there weren't really any big spending teams outside of technically Minnesota, you know, who brought in a, a bunch of guys that could theoretically start for them on defense. They're kind of moving away from the Zimmer era and replacing the Zimmer defensive stalwarts with some new blood still veterans but new blood to the vikings they were the only team that really spent on third-party acquisitions detroit the most they spent on any individual player in free agency was dj chark on a 
basically one year mercenary deal at 10 million. They pack some void years on the back end, but it's basically a one year $10 million deal. And then they spent pennies on Deshaun Elliott and Mike Hughes to round out their secondary. Again, if you want to talk about how they're going to be deployed in their kind of three safety nickel and dime packages, go listen to the Lions episode. But they really didn't spend a whole lot. They spent most of their resources in-house kind of replenishing their depth. Chicago, they had no money, so they couldn't really spend anything anyway. Had to do a whole bunch of slash and burn just to get rid of bad contracts. They have an unbelievable amount of dead money this year. But it was necessary, so the most they spent... On, uh, on offense was like $4 million on Byron Pringle, and then Lucas Patrick, I think, was also $4 million, if I remember correctly, to be their new starting center, which is honestly a pretty good deal for them. And then on defense, uh, after the Larry Ogunjobi deal fell through because of a failed physical with a foot injury, the most they spent on defense was $6 million for Justin Jones uh, to be their new three technique, and then Nicholas Moreau, likely to be a value starting linebacker for them next to Roquan, and then Tavon Young to be their nickel. David Young's actually making a lot more than his talent would suggest, but injuries have always kind of suppressed his price. So uh, if he stays healthy, very quality nickel for them. Uh, Minnesota, as I mentioned, were the only teams that, or was the only team in this division that sort of spent big. They brought in nobody on offense because they didn't need to. Their offense is fine. On defense, they brought in Zedarius Smith to round out their edge duo with Daniel Hunter. Harrison Phillips to play on the interior for them probably going to start I would imagine I think he's going to start for them they do have some dudes there but I think Harrison Phillips will end up being a starting three tech uh Jordan Hicks probably going to start next to Eric Kendricks to be Mike linebacker for them they have some young guys that I think could supplant him towards the back half of the season but at least for now he'll be likely a starter and then Shannon Sullivan's going to be competing for the starting nickel job for them as well they brought him over uh, it's like a million and a half or some cheap deal like that. But either way, potentially four new defensive starters that uh, Minnesota's bringing in just from free agency alone. And then Green Bay on offense. Uh, if you listened to the episode yesterday about why even after the Devontae Adams trade, when they had a bunch of money, why they didn't then immediately spend a bunch of money, it's because they're going to be right back in cap hell next year because of the balloon payments that are coming with all the restructures and extensions and stuff they did just to get under the cap this year. So they decided not to spend uh, this year because they didn't want to make it any harder on them next year when they're already projected to be seven and a half million over the cap. So the only guys they brought in were Sammy Watkins for dirt cheap and Jaron Reed for dirt cheap as well. Wouldn't be surprised if Reed is an early down starter for them in base. And then Devonta Wyatt comes in and plays over Reed in nickel situations so yeah this was this was a division rife with uh cap issues uh a lot of them had to do slash and burns or you know just kind of avoid spending in general because outside of minnesota they weren't really in a great position to spend um and i think that 2023 is really when we're going to see the nfc north teams outside of minnesota um start spending especially chicago they're gonna have like a hundred million dollars this time next year so this section might be a little bit more entertaining next summer but for now uh they're just they're trying to stay above water different reasons for all the teams very similar results uh no jacksonville jaguars here nobody going out on the first two three days of free agency just opening up the owner's checkbook filling up big escrow accounts and saying come play for us we'll pay you or in some cases overpay you 
that wasn't the gig here. Folks spent money on their in-house talent to retain it. They, I would say, value shopped the rest of the shelves to get specific roles filled, uh, replace folks that had left that were, again, not for the most part frontline starters. There, there's a few that you mentioned, but really it's like, we need a third safety. We need a, you know, we need a, a second wide receiver. In Detroit's case, look, we need a first wide receiver um, because they weren't sure who they were going to get in the draft. But they got him at, you know, half the rate of a starting X wide receiver, a number one. So even when they did it, they sort of held back, went a little bit later, spent a little bit less. And that was division wide. Again, different motivations to do that, but the results end up looking very much the same. I do want to talk about the elephant in the room when it comes to free agency for this division, which is Devontae being gone. We kind of touched on it a little bit yesterday. Maybe we should expand on it. This is, as far as receivers go, it's, it's very rare that we see a receiver leaving a team, especially with an MVP caliber quarterback, that has an actual appreciable effect on projected win total. Devontae Adams is one of those guys. He is unquestionably the best receiver in the game. And even though the Packers still have arguably the best quarterback in the game, one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, really, the connection that Devontae had with Rodgers in terms of how he was able to read a defense in real time like a quarterback, like Rodgers reads defenses, and, you know, make adjustments to his routes and know exactly, you know, based on if a DB is playing high shoulder versus low shoulder, you know, knowing exactly where the ball is going to be based on how he feels the DB on him to the point where sometimes he didn't even have to look at the ball. He could just turn back shoulder and know it's going to be there and, and it, the ball's right there and he could pluck it. You know, it, it reminds me of um, Aikman and Irvin back in the day where they could throw a bang eight blindfolded and it would be complete. Same kind of thing with Rodgers and Adams. And so one of the reasons why we're concerned, not, not even concerned, why we know this will have an impact on the team is because Rodgers is very much a, a quarterback that has relied on timing and connection and being able to read a defense and be on the same page as his receivers also reading that defense. You look at Jordy, you look at James Jones, um, you look at really any of the number one receivers he's had over the years. It's always been more about connection than just out-talenting people, even though Devontae is extremely talented. And so him not being there and them having, you know, some young guys that need to step up, there is going to be a wind-up period to that. Christian Watson is not going to be able to read defenses to the same level as veteran Devontae Adams. It's going to be a while before he is. Same thing for Romeo Dubs. The only guys that are on the team that read defenses, hopefully, like Rodgers reads defenses, is Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard. And from a physical talent standpoint, they're nowhere near Devontae. They're nowhere near the rookies they've got. So the first half of the Packers offense is going to be wildly different than the second half of the Packers offense for this season because it's going to take time for him to basically train these young receivers how to play like he wants them to play. And I would imagine the first nine to ten weeks because Devontae's no longer there. You can see a lot of Aaron Jones. You're going to see a lot of the run game in general with A.J. Dillon. Uh, Robert Tanyan's going to be probably heavily involved, especially down in the red zone. And it might not even, if they can help it, Rodgers might not even be throwing 30 times a game. 
they might actually be trying to run more than 30 times a game because the pass game is going to take time to get there. So I wanted to talk about the the Devontae Adams trade because, yeah, it's great for the Raiders. And we're, when we get to the AFC West, we'll talk about that. But it's more devastating for the Packers than I think people give credit because it's not just the fact that Devontae Adams is great. It's the fact that Devontae Adams plus Aaron Rodgers is great. And now that connection's no longer there. We're going to see more interrupted drives than Packers fans are largely used to. It might be up to a drive a game that the Packers don't convert because that connection's not there. Because if you go back and look at how many third down conversions were converted by that preternatural connection between Rodgers and Devontae Adams just feeling each other without having to say anything. It was a lot, several per game. And they'll get some of those with the other receivers. It's it's not all that, you know, there's not that there's no receivers in Green Bay anymore, but they're not going to get the automatic conversion that Rodgers is used to, which is I can throw it up anywhere near him. He's going to be exactly where I know he's supposed to be. It was funny when we were at the Shrine Bowl and we talked to receivers about who they studied, and this is college receivers, about who they studied for route running specifically. They all said Devontae Adams. They -hmm. all said Devontae Adams first, and they almost said it kind of like dismissively. They almost just all said like, well, Devontae, but that's super obvious. So it's him and these three other guys. Everybody said Devontae first, and everybody just assumed that we knew that they were going to say Devontae first. Like that's (laughs) how known and ingrained it is that he is the number one. And if you want to learn things, you know, many of them were running. We saw Kyle Phillips run a Devontae Adams release at the end zone in a one-on-one drill. Mm-hmm. And we called him on. It was day three of practice. It was Allegiant Stadium, and he was lining up, you know, wide receivers one-on-one drill trying to win. And he set the DB up with a release that Devontae had broken out about six weeks earlier on a national TV game. It was against the Bears, unfortunately, so I knew exactly what it looked like. <laughs> And he was like, oh, yeah, that's totally, yep, that's where I got that. And, yeah, that's why I ran it. And he ran it exactly like Devontae did. They're oh, all you're, studying You're not Devontae. even telling the full story. Do you remember what he said to the DB after? Because he wasn't targeted <laughs> on that play, but he was wide-ass open. And he looked at the DB, and Kyle Phillips is a shit talker. People don't realize that about him. Titans fans are going to love him. Uh, but he looked at the DB, and he's like, yeah, I got fucking routes. <laughs> Well, so does Devontae because you got it from Devontae. (laughs) Yeah. When you're a good route runner, you study Devontae Adams. So the level of his dominance, both physically and in terms of how far he's progressed his game to clearly the top of the NFL where it's it's just acknowledged. Like if you put out a wide receiver ranking, I don't care if it's for a video game or for a trade publication, for fantasy magazine, and Devontae Adams isn't number one. A lot of people, the majority of people are going to say, what? And they're probably not going to read the rest of the list. There are very few other players at other positions where it's that way, where it's one guy, there's not an argument, and if he's not there, people are going to say, I'm not so sure you know what you're talking about. That's Devontae Adams, and that's going to cost the Packers a few drives per game. And maybe not a few drives a game. It's going to cost them up to a drive or two a game. And depending on when those occur, if they're early in the first half, it's not a big deal. If it's right before halftime and they could have converted maybe a touchdown instead of a field goal, 
that's going to matter in points. If it's, you know, the end and they're pushing for overtime or pushing for the, the clean win that they've gotten a lot to avoid overtime, Rodgers is not going to be able to chuck it up three times in a row on that drive to the left boundary receiver and assume that it's going to be captured. Like, that's not a thing anymore. And he's going to be frustrated in the early going. Will that chemistry develop, especially with the young guys in the second half of the season? I imagine it will, but we're not going to see that automatic sort of conversion and connection that Packers fans are used to. Speaking of those young guys, by the way, uh, let's talk about notable rookies uh, for each individual team. Obviously, if you want a full draft breakdown for each individual team, we, we have whole sections dedicated to the entire yeah. class and talk about the entire class. But in terms of notable rookies per team, I would say Green Bay probably has the most out of this entire division. They had a great draft, but their rivals did too for the most part. We'll start with Detroit. We'll just run through on offense. Jamison Williams, talk about dominant or hopefully dominant offensive threats. Was my wide receiver one in this draft class. Is not going to be healthy at the beginning of the year. He's going to run up to speed in the middle. And for the second half of the season, much like we talked about the Packers pass game, changing in the second half of the season Detroit's pass game is going to change in the second half of the season when Jameson Williams comes back presumably fully healthy on defense they get Aiden Hutchinson and Josh Paschal two defensive linemen that we both really like and believe will really build that outside pass rush for them Chicago on offense picked up Valus Jones Jr wide receiver from Tennessee and special teams ace as well and Braxton Jones and you might say what are you EJ are you just homering Chicago you put a fifth round rookie Braxton Jones has a really good chance to start at left tackle for the Bears. Now, is he going to be great? Is he going to be a difference maker? Who knows? But if he ends up starting at left tackle, which looks fairly likely at this point for that franchise, he's an important enough player to put on the notable rookie list. On defense, uh, pick both of the secondary guys, Kyler Gordon, the cornerback from Washington, and Jaquan Brisker, the safety from Penn State. They have solidified a secondary that had some major holes before the draft and now looks really good again on that top layer and allows some other players to shift into sort of best five. We talk about best five on offensive lines all the time. Um, Bears had a real hole at nickel. Now a guy like Thomas Graham, who might have been starting at outside just because he was forced to, can slide to his more natural nickel role, and that makes the whole secondary better. Minnesota on offense picks up guard you really like from LSU, Ed Ingram, and on defense, Two guys in their secondary who are also fantastic. Safety Lewis Seen from Georgia and Andrew Booth Jr., the corner from Clemson. Booth Jr. probably is going to make less of an impact early on. Seen's going to probably start from day one and I would say might be one of those guys that never leaves the lineup. He could Ever. play his yeah, he could play <laughs> his entire career, start from day one. He has that kind of talent. He's going to make an excellent pairing with Harrison Smith while he's there, and then he's going to eventually take over. Uh, when Smith moves on. Green Bay on offense picked up Christian Watson, wide receiver from North Dakota State, Zach Tom, guard, well, tackle slash guard slash center. <laughs> we'll, just <laughs> say athlete. Yeah. we'll just say athlete at offensive line and Sean Ryan, tackle, who's going to play guard for them from UCLA. So some help on the offensive line. Neither of those guys has to start right away, but probably will down the line knowing the Packers. And Christian Watson, they really are hoping, develops into that Who's next at outside wide receiver for them? 
On defense, they pick up Quay Walker, the linebacker from Georgia, Devontae Wyatt, the three-tech, also from Georgia. And then I put Kingsley Anikbari on there, also a fifth-rounder, because I think he's going to figure into the rotation as a situational pass rusher, even as a rookie, and make a difference. He's going to be one of those guys that two or three years from now is going to get a lot better because I don't think he's scratched the surface, but he's ridiculously physically talented and had some real flashes playing in a primary conference in college. So Green Bay... Great draft, but overall in the division, a lot of new blood, a lot of talent brought in via the draft this year. I thought that each class kind of had individual themes. You know, the Lions spent free agency money on depth, and they spent the draft on trying to get stars. Aiden Hutchinson, Jameis Williams, um, Jameson Williams, excuse me, and Josh Paschal could all be stars for them. And I think getting homegrown stars like they used to have back in the day when they had, you know, Megatron and Stafford and Sue, all all of them in that kind of young-ish type core back in the early 2010s, that's what they're trying to, to rebuild now is star defensive lineman, star receiver, and then, you know, maybe one day they can have a, a homegrown star quarterback too, unless Jared Goff somehow goes super sane at this point in his career. I'm not going to completely rule it out, but it's unlikely. But, you know, they're trying to to get homegrown stars like they haven't in literally a decade at this point. Chicago. This was all about, okay, we're going to lean into having a really good secondary because that's one of the only things that's good right now about the roster, and we're going to take as many swings on the offensive line as we possibly can in day two and day three and then just hope that Justin Fields survives to 2023, which is when we have $100 million and a whole bunch of draft picks to to really take that leap. A lot of franchises hope that they can take the leap in the second year of a rookie deal because of the contract hell that Ryan Pace put them in. They couldn't do that. They have to wait till year three. They just have to get Justin Fields to 2023 alive, and then they can make this work. And I think considering their resources, they did the best possible job at that. Uh, Minnesota, again, they're fine. They're, they're restocking the shelves, I should say, on defense. They have a whole generation of, you know, Zimmer Vikings, especially on defense that are out the door. They're trying to draft the next generation, hoping to God Andrew Booth finally turns into the the, the star corner they've been trying to draft uh, since, you know, Xavier Rhodes kind of fell off the wagon for them a little bit. Um, they, they've, took, they've taken a lot of swings at corner high in the draft uh, in the last several years. And I think Booth is probably the best one that they've taken a swing on in the top two rounds since Xavier Rhodes. They really need him to work. They really, really, really need him to work because this is what, like the third or fourth corner they've taken high in the last several years. You're just going to sit there and slander Cam Dantzler, and I'm just going to have to eat it because he fell off. Goddamn right I am. (laughs) He fell off a little bit last year. I I have faith in Cam. Cam, if you're listening, I have faith in you, but uh, that doesn't mean I wouldn't have taken Booth if he was sitting there. I would have. He's a very good player. And then uh, Lewis seen again, uh, you know, just kind of restocking the shelves on defense, trying to get a new generation of homegrown Vikings defensive stars. And then Ed Ingram, I think, will at least compete for the starting right guard, right guard job this year. Um, at worst, he's a swing guard for them and a very good one because I really, really like Ed Ingram. And then Green Bay leaning into their strengths more than anything. Uh, I wanted them to go after receiver early. They still ended up lucking out and getting Watson in the second round and Dubs in the fourth round, so it worked out. But this was definitely Gutekunst leaning into the already existing strengths of the team. 
which is offensive line depth, running the ball, playing good defense, and then hoping that Aaron Rodgers can just elevate people beyond what they are. Traditionally, that's worked out for. So I don't blame him for going that route. Um, and they, again, they still ended up getting Watson anyway, but the Quay Walker pick, the Devontae Wyatt pick, and the Kingsley and Ibari pick signals to me that the front seven was already strong. They wanted to stay strong. And then the offensive line was strong last year, but they took a couple losses either through forced cuts or free agency. They wanted to restock the shelves there and make sure that when somebody inevitably gets hurt, because of the Packers offensive line, somebody's going to get hurt. There's not going to be any fall off there. So um, I thought it was very, uh, very on brand for the Packers. They're going to run the ball. They're going to play defense and they're just going to hope that Aaron Rodgers makes three bullshit throws a game and they're going to (laughs) win. Can't say I blame him for that. Nope. They're, uh, that's a pretty good bet to take. Probably the casinos in Vegas won't give it to you. Like, I'm going to bet that Aaron Rodgers is going to take a bullshit throw in a game. They're like, nope, we're not giving you odds on that. That's <laughs> You can give us money, but we're not giving you any back. Uh, I can see it, and it's, it's interesting. I did like the draft hall talent that came in. I think it speaks to an exciting future for a lot of the teams you know secondary might not be the most exciting thing if you're a Chicago fan the players they got are really exciting and are going to be the basis of that secondary for the foreseeable future they're both really good but some offensive firepower from both Detroit and Green Bay some really interesting defensive players it it was an influx of talent that the NFC North really needed and I think that all the teams took advantage of what was a very deep draft class Let's get to uh, storylines for each individual team. This is kind of the one narrative through line. Uh, We'll kind of go team by team for this one. The one narrative through line for their season that we're going to be watching, you know, the main story, so to speak. For Green Bay, it's how much does the Devontae Adams trade end up affecting them? I would say, especially in the first half of the season. You and I are suspecting that at least one or two drives a game will be heavily affected. And when it comes to the NFL, sometimes one or two drives a game is the difference between winning and losing. I would be fascinated to see if that holds true. By the end of the year, it might not matter as much once kind of people settle in. But those first eight to nine weeks, is there as much of a wind-up period as we're expecting? I'm going to say first third of the season because I've been burned on this before with the Packers. Uh, When Lafleur came, I was like, well... New coach, even though he's probably going to be a better coach than Mike McCarthy because that's an extremely low bar. He is offensively focused, but it's going to take a while. And if you remember, there was, I don't want to say friction, but a lot of conversation between Aaron Rodgers, who was very set in his ways and doing things a certain way, and LaFleur saying, no, no, I know you're really good, but I need you to do it my way. We're going to do some different things, and it's going to work. It's going to make you better, but you have to trust me. And Aaron Rodgers kind of going, eh. And they came out of the gate in LaFleur's first year and ripped off wins, even though they were having those friction conversations. And then it just got better from there and it stayed really good. So I might say like first third of the season, I'm not willing to say first half because I think they'll get it wound up more quickly than that, but it'll be really interesting to see how much they can elevate what is either brand new. So we don't know anything about it or very average talent in the wide receiving core, uh, uh, well over the hill, Randall Cobb, Sammy Watkins. These are not players that scare opposing defenses at this point. 
Watson, Dubs down the line might, but won't right away. I think they'll wind it up quickly, but it, it is going to have an effect. And I really want to see the effect it has on Aaron, quite frankly, because Aaron can win with anybody. He's proved that, but Adams is special. We don't need to belabor that point. Adams is special. He's number one and he's gone. And when you lose that security blanket, there is going to be a bump. Is he going to get over it? Of course. He has well more than enough talent to do that. But how much is that going to sort of bump him off his stride, frustrate him, whatever? Or maybe not at all. Maybe they come out and they're well-oiled and they just start rolling over people from week one. We'll see. But that's that's the storyline. Minnesota's one main storyline for the year is can the shift to a new school staff and front office get the Vikings uh, to the top of the division? For me, kind of expanding on that question a little bit, I'm really interested to see if when we look at Kevin O'Connell and, and you know, how the, the Vikings offense is built. I did a film room, uh, film room episode on this over on the Film Room channel recently. You know, how much of the offense that they were running in the with the Rams under O'Connell is he going to bring to Minnesota where it's a lot of 11 personnel, you know, from an... <laughs> From a uh, personnel grouping distribution standpoint, they were on their own entire island in terms of how much 11 they ran. It was not even close. They were tops in the league by a wide margin. <laughs> but they still ran the ball a lot out of 11 personnel because of the creative ways they were able to use their wide receivers who were all good blockers um, as basically just smaller tight ends. Minnesota is one of the few other teams that I think can do that because Justin Jefferson gets after it the run game. Thielen's a good run blocker. The coaching staff in the past has um, God, who's the who's the third kid? Blanket on the name. Oh, KJ Osborne. Yes, they've praised his effort as a run blocker as well. You know, Amir Smith Marset is not a blocker, but I do think he's a really fun ball carrier. So you know, kind of doing the little Robert Wood stuff with all the sweeps and tap passes, I think he could be a good guy for that. Um, so, you know, how much does uh, does the Rams run game and how they approached offense differently than the rest of the league last year, how much does that leak to Minnesota and in general the kind of new school offensive coach vibes? Is that what it's going to take to get Minnesota back to the top of the division with what is arguably the most talented roster in the division? And a loaded offense to bring in an offensively minded head coach to that offense. My macro storyline to go with that is I want to see him boat race people. They can, they have that kind of talent. I want to see him get out to big leads and just burn people because they're loaded at every offensive position. We talked about that in the episode earlier this week. My mini storyline that's a subset of that macro storyline is I really want to see what they do with Irv Smith Jr. in like the Tyler Higby role. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm just like this about that. I, I'm just like, well, we were all excited about Irv Smith last year and we got robbed a little bit of that by an injury. But like Irv Smith is more talented than Tyler Higby. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. And Kevin O'Connell knows it. And he could do more things with him. And I want to see that little creative corner because everybody's in it. Justin Jefferson. Of course, Justin Jefferson is one of the best wide receivers in the league. KJ Osborne is an underrated third wide receiver. Thielen still getting it done. Absolutely. Cousins has been debated to Beth. Dalvin Cook, top five back when he's when he's healthy in this league and can benefit from that coming out in 11 
you know, 70% of the time, making it look the same and running everything from it. Like Dalvin Cook's going to dig that. More than 70. It's like 86. (laughs) It's crazy high. Yeah, they run everything out of 11. And Dalvin Cook is going to, at first, I think, maybe go, what the hell? And then he's going to go, oh, I get it. Cool. Because he's got the skills to really push some of those gains he's going to get from defenses just being confused by the same look. So those are the sort of mini storylines to the macro. Like I need to see that very, very talented offense that is loaded end to end, start putting up points consistently. And that's the point we brought up in the episode about the Vikings was when cousins is hot, it already looks like that. It's we got to get him consistent. We can't have the low lows where he plays down to competition and plays just extremely average football, despite being surrounded by some of the best offensive talent in the NFL. Chicago's main storyline. This one's actually pretty easy. How much will Justin Fields progress in what should be a grown up NFL offense compared to what he's used to? with the previous staff where nothing was connected. Everything was disjointed. Everything was a fucking mess all the time. seems like game plans were just a, an afterthought. Um, I mean, God damn, why would you leave miles Garrett on a fucking tight end? Jesus Christ. Anyway, not going to, not going to get too wrapped up in it. The bad man is gone. Um, <laughs> now beyond that, will the young DBs also show up and solidify what on paper should be one of the most talented young secondaries in the league it's all about fields the secondary and please for the love of god don't watch anything else on this team because it's probably not worth your time it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what justin fields really is when he has full command of the offense he's been given all the offseason reps with the first team starters it is a modern even if average nfl offense should be a huge improvement from what was you mentioned it disjointed disconnected poorly timed uh nobody really seemed clear a lot of confusion on the offensive line very little route separation just all the things that you need in a modern nfl offense didn't show up or didn't show up together consistently and it it just turned into a raging dumpster fire so even if things are just stable and I'm not going to say predictable because I don't think Getsy will be predictable, but even if things are just middle of the road, I think Justin Fields is going to open a lot of people's eyes because he's a very, very talented player. As far as the secondary goes, it literally can't be worse. This is a team that started Kendall Vilder outside. Oh, don't last remind year. me. Oh, God. I know. If you're going to tear off band aids, I am too. Uh, they, you shouldn't be doing that in the NFL. Nothing against Kendall Vilder. You know, I think he's an NFL level player as a backup nickel and special teamer. He is not a starting outside corner in the NFL period. End of story. So bringing in a guy who I think is, and will be for a long time. And Kyler Gordon, same thing at safety. They've sort of taken the Eddie Jackson and the other guy approach. It's been like the red shirt thing from star Trek every year. They bring in somebody on a one or two year deal to play besides Eddie. Cause they were paying Eddie the big money. And that player has never really ascended. Ever since Adrian Amos left and went to the Packers, that second safety hasn't really done or been anything. Bringing in somebody and spending the draft pick and bringing in somebody like Jaquan Brisker, he's not just a placeholder, folks. He's going to be a leader in that secondary. He can make plays going forward near the line. He can make plays backwards going on the ball. He has great range. He's super tough. Hits like a ton of bricks. Like, 
it can't be worse. That basically takes a secondary that had two gaping holes in it and fills them with top-tier talent. I'm excited to see what the secondary is going to be. They're going to be under some pressure. You know, Robert Quinn and <laughs> it's going to be Robert Quinn and Travis Gibson trying to create pass rush. And if they don't get there, that secondary is going to have to cover for a long time. But I think they're much more up to the task than the secondary last year, which was just basically like, hide your eyes, don't look. Uh, we have Jalen Johnson and that's about it. So please throw it will anywhere you want to on the field. Final storyline here for the Detroit Lions their main kind of narrative through line for 2022 is Dan Campbell's squad finally ready to take the leap beyond just being a tough scrappy team to play against and more into oh they're a legitimately good winning football program looking at last year they lost a lot of games by snatching defeat from the jaws of victory can they get out of that and you know, the, the one bad bounce, the one drop, the one record field goal that somehow goes in. Can they turn those heartbreaking losses into just grinding out, scrapping out a win? Because if they do, they're going to go from being a three-win team to an eight-win team. And I think for Lions fans, they would absolutely adore being an eight-win team at this point. It's been a while since they've been an eight-win team. Can they take that leap from bad to average? They have to get past Scrappy. Like, Scrappy's fun for about this long. Mm -hmm. Like, being the lovable underdog is only lovable for about this long. And then it's like, and then what? And Detroit is getting quickly, because windows are short and small in the NFL, to that, and then what? Okay, you've had two years of this regime. You have two good drafts, two smart approaches to free agency. Okay. Are you going to be better than Plucky? Are you going to be better than a lovable underdog? Are you going to be a team that, you know, is very hard to bump off at home and steals a couple on the road and starts to balance wins and losses? Again, getting towards 500, 7, 8, 9 wins somewhere in there would be a real, real piece of progress in Detroit where they are so thirsty for that, and they deserve it. Lions fans have been through a lot for a long time. And is this team going to challenge for a playoff spot and go deep in the playoffs? No. If that's your expectation, you should probably just tune in next year, see what <laughs> happens. If you believe that this team is a 50-50 coin flip to win each game they go into and will come out with a commensurate record of about eight wins, it's going to be a fun team to watch, right? They're going to go from the bad bounce, you know, bad luck story to – probably should have won six games last year and then what are you adding this year another couple okay you're adding you know you're going eight wins this year with all that talent and again the culture that we talk about sort of relentlessly with dan campbell culture holds up for a while <laughs> it's definitely the foundation of what you do but if you don't start winning culture be damned they're going to replace you and go get somebody that can that's the nfl it's a meritocracy so this is this is the year they need to make motions in that direction. How far they go, hey, if they get lucky and string together a bunch of stuff at the end of the year and pull off a Cincinnati-like run towards challenging for a playoff spot, Detroit faithful should be thrilled. That's significant progress from a three-win team. 2022 AFC, sorry, not AFC, NFC. Yeah, North the other predictions. one. Uh, this is where we're going to be doing, you know, MVP, Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, everything like that within the NFC North, not league-wide. 
division MVP, keep it short and sweet here, Aaron Rodgers. If you say anything other than Aaron Rodgers, you are wrong. It is that, that There is one answer here, and it is him. Best quarterback in the division, maybe best quarterback in the entire league. One of the best quarterbacks ever. And the amount of names that you could put ahead of him on that list is probably only about one hand. And I would max out it there. It's Aaron Rodgers. Offensive player of the year. In the interest of not just doubling up on Aaron Rodgers, uh, you had your pick, I had my pick. They actually ended up being the same player, and that's Justin Jefferson, who is now the best receiver in the NFC North, I would say. I think that in a couple years, maybe there could be some competition there, but at least for now, it's Justin Jefferson, and it's comfortably Justin Jefferson. I think he's going to be outrageously productive, but I also think that he's going to be a key component to that run game, which we just talked about, um, you know, as a run blocker at the point of attack in all of their 11 personnel runs, which sounds weird to say for a wide receiver, but in this type of system, he absolutely will be a key in the run game. So uh, going with anybody other then Justin Jefferson, I think, would be a mistake. He is far and away that guy in the NFC North now. And he wants it. He's been very clear about that. He is not shying away in classic wide receiver fashion from sort of grabbing that mantle saying, I deserve it. I'm going to earn it. You're not going to take it from me. Uh, come get it. And I think he'll be able to back all of those statements up. A lot of times that's hot air with wide receivers they traffic in a lot of hot air in justin jefferson's case it's not he can back all of that stuff up if he stays healthy and on the field and you know meshes with what kevin o'connell is putting down he he probably wins that award going away defensive player of the year going back to packer country you and i both kind of quickly agreed on this one Rashawn Gary, I think, is is the safest pick here. Looking at what he did last year, I, I would say it was a breakout year, but he was productive and he was efficient the year before as well. It's just now he finally got to play a whole lot of snaps, uh, you know, with Darius Smith being injured. And he was third in the NFL, tied for third in the NFL, I should say, in pressures at 87, which is an outrageous number, had double-digit sacks, which is not easy. Uh, it shows that not only can he get pressure, but he can finish the job and convert those pressures to sacks. He was dominant against the run, really just a three-down force. And when they took him in the first round, it was actually one of the picks I got correct. I actually mocked him to the Packers in the first round, even though they technically didn't need him at the time. And I said, just wait. He's going to be awesome. And then he was awesome. And I feel vindicated by this. But Rashawn Gary's an incredible player. I think he's going to be a fixture in Green Bay for a long, long time. Amazing talent, three-down versatility. You can play inside, you can play outside, but he's mostly just an edge for them. I love him, and even though there is a lot of names to pick from in this division, I couldn't go with anybody but him. I think this is the year that he gets his recognition. He's had the production for two years. Like you said, production without a whole lot of opportunities or as many opportunities as he got last year is what he had in his first year. His second year, the opportunities go up, the production goes up with it. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes guys are very productive and very efficient with a few snaps. You add a number of snaps and they wear down and the production doesn't match it. Nope. His, you know, opportunities went up, production went up, you know, if not evenly, even more so. This is the year I think it all comes together. He continues that somewhat meteoric rise or, or very steady linear progression rise 
And people start to realize, holy crap, Rashawn Gary's tearing people up like regularly. And then they go back and go, man, I guess he always kind of has been tearing people up. I just didn't notice. I think this is the year that people notice. My only other choice was Robert Quinn, but Robert Quinn set the single season sack record for the Bears. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. Last season, the Bears, team that has a lot of sacks and a long history. Robert Quinn, most ever sacks by a Bears player in a season last year. People say, oh, 17 games. Yeah, still a great accomplishment. He's likely going to regress a little bit from that number. He's he's playing at an insanely high level given his age, but to expect him to do that again is unlikely, but he's the only guy that really flat, you know, Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary's line mate in green Bay is always awesome, but it's really tough for interior defensive linemen, not named Aaron Donald to be considered for this award annually. Kenny Clark should be, we've made that really clear on this podcast many times. Rashawn Gary plays the flashier position. He plays the outside edge. He's coming from the outside edge and slapping quarterbacks down. He does it very well, and I think this is the year the national audience goes, oh, yeah, we shouldn't be saying and, we should be saying it starts there. Offensive Rookie of the Year, uh, this is, we both had kind of different picks for this one, but I think it's also the similar argument for both. We don't expect either of them to be productive till the back half of the year. One for injury and one because of opportunity and system. I picked Christian Watson, who, as I outlined before, I don't think he's really going to start to get snaps till the back half of the year when he learns Aaron Rodgers' ease. If that's a language I can just come up with on the spot. Sure. Aaron Rodgers-ish. <laughs> uh, he has to learn how Rodgers plays, and so that might take a little while. Jameson Williams has to come back from injury. Even if he's quote-unquote ready or cleared you know, by September, he's not going to be full speed until halfway through the year. And I, I would imagine the franchise is going to be very cautious with him because they gave up assets to go get him. So again, we're looking at two receivers that maybe week eight on will be heavily featured, but before week eight, it would be tough for me to think either of them is going to be very productive. Yeah. This is the slow burn category. Don't look for anything in the first six to eight weeks. You're not going to see it. Um, you might see a flash or two from Christian Watson, uh, he blocks very well, so that'll get him on the field quickly. He's also a good gadget player, ends around, orbit motion stuff. He ran all that at North Dakota State. But in terms of straight up, like, receiving highlights, just burning people and long touchdowns, you're probably not going to see a lot of that in the first half of the season. It's going to take a while for him to get those opportunities, to earn those opportunities, and he's going to have to with Aaron Rodgers, who is typically hard on rookies um, and making sure that they're in the right place at the right time. So, both of these players, Jamison Williams and Christian Watson, are going to come in later in the season, and then the race is going to heat up. Jamison Williams is going to be rounding back into form. I think he's – I know he is a clearly superior player when healthy to Christian Watson right now. His quarterback's not as good. Christian Watson, outstanding athletic specimen loads of potential playing with one of the best quarterbacks ever who elevates those around him we talked about that so they they both have their own sort of chips that you could push into the middle of the table and say i think it's this one or i think it's this one but it's a race that's going to heat up in the second half and it's going to be fun to watch defensive rookie of the year i went with lewis scene just because i feel like out of all the the defensive rookies that were drafted there were a lot of good ones I think he might be the easiest to project. He was an incredibly safe prospect coming out of Georgia. He has it all range. I mean, he's a hitter in the run game. He's incredibly smart. 
bursty. He's fluid. He's, he's got everything. He's such an easy safety to love. And I also think that he's going to play immediately and play a lot. And I saw all the guys, I say guys, plural, that you picked. You said Aiden Hutchinson, Lewis Seen, and Kyler Gordon. I'm going to put you on the spot. Pick one. Yeah, I'm your gonna, defensive rookie of the year. I'm going to have to. The reason I put all three up is I think all three have a chance to win it. Seen for all the reasons you said. I won't I won't go over them because they're the same reasons. Hutchinson for many of the same reasons. I think he's going to play early. He's going to have impact and he was also he was listed as possibly the most safe prospect in the entire draft, the safest. And then Gordon is a dark horse. It's it's hard, I think, for safeties to win it, so that's why I would go against Scene. And just to be the devil's advocate, I would go with Hutchinson because he's going to get more reps and he plays the flashier position. If Hutchinson puts up like eight sacks in his rookie year and has a bunch of pressures, plays the run as well as he can, he's going to be in that conversation, especially if he gets a few early and on national TV. They only have a couple of games that are nationally televised. Makes a big difference for voters that don't watch those teams every week. If he has a splashy play on a Monday or Thursday night game, we'll see. So I'll go with Aiden Hutchinson because I think he's the chalkiest pick on the list. I think all of them have a chance seen, again, for all the great reasons you listed, but it's a little tougher for a safety to win. Gordon, it would have to be a come away with a few PBUs and a couple interceptions, maybe a pick six, and then he'd be a, a dark horse to be in the conversation. I don't think he wins it. So Hutchinson's my pick. I think, and people can correct me in the comments if I'm wrong. As of right now, I think the Lions only have one quote-unquote primetime game on the schedule, mm-hmm. and it's Thanksgiving morning at like 9.30 a.m. But the Week 18 Packers-Lions game doesn't have a slot yet. So if there's some playoff implications for that game, maybe we see Hutchinson in prime time in the final week of the season going up against Elton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari, which could be sick. Um, but yeah, as of right now, gotta, gotta hope people are watching on Thanksgiving or they might get, might not get to see the Lions yeah. very much. True story. And you know, tough for Detroit, but that's, if you win, you get those opportunities. And that's another reason that that franchise, we talk about the on-field all the time. We tend to focus a lot on the football product, but there are the things outside in terms of national visibility, marketability, team worth, all that stuff. And you got to win to get that stuff. That's the bottom line. Your team wins, you make money. Your team wins, you get more national appearances. Uh, you know, your team wins, you get more ticket sales because they play more games, right? Mm-hmm. So you gotta win in the NFL and this is the year for the Lions to push that needle to a far greater total than they did last year coach of the year in the NFC North um you and I both strayed from the obvious answer here which is Matt LaFleur yeah. uh I went with Kevin O'Connell personally just because I feel like we're gonna see such a big jump in the Vikings this year, you know, not just in win total, like they might add three wins, which doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But I feel like the wins that they're going to get aren't just going to be like winning by the skin of their teeth. I think we are actually going to see the Vikings comfortably win games for once and consistently comfortably win games. And yeah, there are going to be some losses in there because their schedule does have quite a few pretty good teams on there. But I truly think that even if the wins only go up by three, the quality of the team 
will take such a drastic leap that I'm gonna I'm gonna have to give it to Kevin O'Connell for elevating the team beyond what we were seeing from the tail end of the Mike Zimmer era. Yeah, and this one goes back to our storylines. You said Kevin O'Connell, and it it's back to the storylines. If they do what we hope they do based on the storylines, and in Kevin O'Connell's case, it's elevate that offense and start whooping up on people, he's going to be in the conversation because people are used to the Vikings playing down to their competition. If they start boat racing people, he's going to get votes. Same thing with Dan Campbell, who's my vote. If he can take them from a three-win team to an eight-win team, there's always one coach that gets that vote of, man, your team was absolute ass last year, and this year they were pressing until three-quarters of the way through the season. They were still you know, mathematically available for a playoff spot. Man, you made a lot of progress. It's that lot of progress, coach, right? Campbell could easily be that coach this year we talked about it in the Lions episode they could have won six games pretty handily last year they didn't so he has the opportunity to rack up a large differential from that three win total last year to whatever they put up this year if he does that he'll get the votes finally the big one division winner you went with the admittedly obvious pick Green Bay because why bet against Aaron Rodgers no, I won't. <laughs> I know ref- I know you refuse to. You're a traumatized Bears fan. Yep. I really do think the Vikings are going to do this thing. I think the addition of forward thinking in the coaching staff plus forward thinking with the front office, the sheer quality of the roster, the amount of just – stars that they have around Kirk Cousins and the fact that Kirk Cousins when Kirk Cousins is on a heater is really really good I think that Kevin O'Connell is going to rein in the variance between good Kirk and bad Kirk which is really all that's been missing for a long time is just narrow the variance and I think that their defensive coaching staff plus that defensive talent that they've added this offseason is going to be pretty formidable as well I would not feel comfortable predicting the Vikings to win the division if Devontae Adams was still in Green Bay, but he's not. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I'm predicting both teams win 11 games, but the Vikings have the necessary tiebreakers to win this division and then host Green Bay once again in the wild card round where at that point, yeah, it's anybody's ball game. And at that point, yeah, maybe I'd bet on Aaron Rodgers to win that game. But in terms of season long... I think the Vikings and the Packers both win 11, and the Vikings take the division. Good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, if you stand Kirk Cousins up and Aaron Rodgers on a neutral field with these rosters, right, and health is always a factor. I'm not talking about health of the quarterbacks. Health of the surrounding cast, certainly the offensive line, other key contributors. Like, health is always a factor late in the season. You tell me right now that late in the season when the Vikings and the Packers meet and you stand up Kirk Cousins against Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins does all that crap bravado. Oh, you like that, right? And he's staring at Rodgers and Rodgers is just smirking like, yeah, bring it, Kirk. I I dare you. Like, feel free. You're, you're not going anywhere. I'm ending you right now today that you'd bet on Kirk Cousins in that fight? Like, nah, man. Like, uh-uh. Until Rodgers is gone, until the Wicked Witch is dead, nope, I'm betting on Aaron to win that game nine times out of ten. And the one time would be 
Kirk has to be on a heater. The Vikings have to be healthier. O'Connell's got to be in his bag. And, yeah, at that point, sure, they could turn him over. Every other time, LeFleur and Rodgers are going to bury Kirk Cousins because that's just who they are, all of them. Cousins, Rodgers, LeFleur, like, you got to prove it. Now, they could do it. They take both meetings. If the Vikings march into Lambeau and take that game, My well, they are, don't they don't play in Lambeau till January first, week seventeen. Right, right. If they, that's what I'm saying. Late, late in the season, outdoor. You walk into the enemy's house, which they were eight and zero in last year, and O'Connell and the Vikings curb stomp the Packers in Lambeau. Ooh, ears are going to go right up at that point and go. All right, like that changing of the guard. Until then, nah, not for me. Well, we're not going to have to wait too long just to see these teams play against each other because they do face each other in week one in Minnesota. So eh. that's going to be a nice little nice little appetizer for the rest of the season where I'm sure they're going to be kind of trading back and forth until we get to that second meeting in Lambeau. And then who knows what will happen by then. But, um, yeah, NFC North, really fun division. Should be a lot better than it was last year. Tons of fun additions for every individual team. Tons of fun storylines, both for the bad teams and for the good ones. I'm really, really excited to see how this this, this division ends up because I think that they're going to send at least two teams to the playoffs, and and uh, it should be close all the way there. But uh, that being said, EJ, we are now 75% of the way done with this series. I never thought I'd see the day. Uh, we only have two more weeks of recording, and then I think a month from this point, a month more of releases, and then... At that point, we're halfway through camp, and we're doing more preseason previews than we're into the season, and, yep. and there we go. We're off. It rolls from here. It's It's been a tremendously fun ride. This series is always cool. This year, it's on a whole nother level. Obviously, if you're watching this, you, you've seen that. You've heard that. Couldn't be more proud of the work that we're doing and happier with the response from all of you. Again, we do it for you. We couldn't do it without you. Uh, big shout out to our editor Jay and the folks working with him to crank these episodes out on the daily. Again, it's a massive change for us. Everybody seems to be digging it. Uh, it's been a ton of work, but it's been really, really worthwhile. We'll be back next week with uh, one of the final two divisions, the AFC West. We are finally moving out west. Uh, yep. And let's see who was who was the first team in the AFC West we're doing? Is it Denver? First team in the AFC West will be Denver. They were a seven-win team last year. Then it'll be Chargers, Raiders, and finally Chiefs. And, of course, we'll have a summary episode on the Friday of that week as well. But I'm I'm, I'm licking my chops for this one. We're getting into the giant robots fighting now. This is good <laughs> stuff. Yeah, we're getting into the, the crazy divisions. Man, we thought AFC North and NFC North were nuts. The West teams do not fuck around. So... Uh, excited to talk about them. We'll be back on Monday talking Denver. No shortage of storylines there. So come on back for that. And uh, until then, later. Take care. Take care.